Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. President Yoon Suk-yeol of South Korea recently impressed Joe Biden with his skills as a singer. During a banquet in Washington, held as part of a grand state visit, he performed American Pie, a famous hit by Don McLean. President Yoon is a popular figure in America, yet the more he ingratiates himself with Joe Biden, the more tricky things become for him with Xi Jinping, an uncomfortable situation for the leader of a country which often faces the dilemma of being caught between great powers. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast an expert on South Korea. Professor John Nelson Wright has roles covering the Northeast Asian region at the University of Cambridge and at the Chatham House Think Tank in London. John, welcome to China in Context. Pleasure to be here, Duncan. Now, let's start with the song. Everyone who heard President Yoon sing American Pie seemed to be laughing and having fun. But do you think there was a serious point to it? I think one shouldn't underestimate the importance of these symbolic pageantries, if you like. Um, a state visit to Washington is really important for President Yun, um, partly, of course, because at home he doesn't have the popularity that he has in the United States. His poll ratings have been in the low 30s. He's coming up in May on his first year in office as president in South Korea. And... Um, Given the sort of fragmented nature of the political environment in South Korea, the tensions between the governing Conservative Party and the opposition Democrats, this visit to Washington was a real prime opportunity for President Yoon to emphasize his stature as a global statesman with, of course, what has been always the most important bilateral relationship with South Korea, the relationship with the United States. This year is the 70th anniversary of bilateral ties. So I think it's quite obvious, really, why any visiting South Korean president would want to demonstrate that close affinity with what is, after all, the most powerful country on the earth. Well, Mr. Biden said that Mr. Yoon's visit underscored the ironclad alliance between the United States and South Korea. And alongside that, there was a promise to send a nuclear armed submarine to South Korea. What led up to that announcement? North Korea now, of course, has tested six nuclear devices uh, since 2006. There are very real worries about a possible seventh nuclear test. And we've seen in the course of the last year a flurry of missile tests, short range, medium and intercontinental ballistic missile tests by North Korea. DPRK is developing its so-called tactical nuclear assets. Um, and South Koreans are worried. They're worried by the security threat that North Korea represents more than 70% of the South Korean public supports the idea that South Korea should have its own independent nuclear deterrent. That's something, of course, that for the United States is a major concern because it would raise concerns about nuclear proliferation, the possibility of an arms race in the region with other countries, perhaps even including Japan, being tempted to develop their own nuclear weapons. So this visit to Washington and the decision to send a nuclear potentially nuclear armed submarine, a US submarine to South Korea with a possible port visit uh, to Busan is a way of shoring up extended deterrence, providing a clear commitment to the South Korean government and the South Korean public 
that the United States is guaranteed to provide that protective nuclear umbrella to South Korea. $60,000 question is whether this visit will in fact, the dispatch of a nuclear armed submarine will do just that. And I think we will have to wait to see how public opinion responds. Part of the agreement as part of the so-called Washington Declaration, a very extensive set of bilateral agreements between the two countries that was announced during President Yoon's six-day visit to the United States, involves the establishment of a so-called nuclear consultative group. And that new group is intended, this bilateral arrangement, to provide more information, sharing with the South Korean government, more commitments by the United States to explain the nature of extended deterrence and to make it more of a concrete process. But very clearly, the United States has made it clear that this is not a nuclear sharing agreement. Despite the fact that President Yoon's deputy national security advisor described it in those terms, uh, senior US officials, including the representative on the National Security Council responsible for East Asian policy have made it clear that it is not a nuclear sharing agreement. So the dispatch of a nuclear armed submarine is, is a step in that direction, but not far enough, as it were, from the point of view of South Korean critics, who would argue that President Yoon needed more of a guarantee. It's interesting that you mentioned the nuclear consultative group, John. Um, I was listening to another podcast, actually, run by The Diplomat, and they had another South Korean expert on there, uh, Ankit Panda, who I respect a lot. And he said that the nuclear consultative group was part of Mr. Biden's non-proliferation toolkit. I had to think about that phrase because it wasn't obvious to begin with. But he gave the impression that Mr. Biden wants to prevent the proliferation of nuclear weapons in East Asia. And for that reason, he set up this consultative group and is prepared to dispatch a US military submarine armed with a nuclear weapon to East Asia. This seems something of a contradiction. Can you explain it? I understand why it might seem contradictory, but I suppose the best way to think of this is that it's a trade, it's a quid pro quo. The United States gives a guarantee, as it always has, to South Korea that it's, it, it will provide this extended deterrence framework. And in return for that, as we saw as part of the uh, dialogue between the two countries and came out of the summit meeting, um, South Korea has given a commitment that it will remain a member of the NPT regime, the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Uh, and that's a very important declaration because effectively it's saying that South Korea will not go down the route of considering developing its own independent nuclear deterrent. Back at the beginning of this year in January, President Yoon made statements that were interpreted as a wobble on that issue, as a possibility that South Korea would consider going down that route. So in a way, what this summit meeting has done is provided reassurance that um, South Korea will remain firmly within the NPT regime. But in order for that to be credible and in order to sell it at home, uh, President Yoon has had to extract this very important reassurance from the United States with the establishment of the nuclear consultative group. Well, you've made some very good points about North Korea and you've explained extended deterrence, but this podcast is China in context, so it's about China. So what do you think that phrase means in relation to China? Well, we've seen the official response 
from Beijing to the Washington Declaration, which has been pretty critical. Um, that's partly, of course, on the very sensitive issue of Taiwan. President Yun and President Biden in their public remarks have made it clear that they favor a peaceful resolution of the Taiwan issue. Uh, it's not unprecedented for a South Korean leader to talk about Taiwan. Uh, the previous president, Moon Jae-in, in his May summit meeting with President Biden, um, uh, the end of his administration made similar remarks. China, of course, is concerned about strengthened bilateral and trilateral cooperation between the United States and Seoul and Tokyo. And that's why they've been very explicit in some of their public statements. And for many years, South Korea's policy when it came to dealing with China was to maintain a policy of so-called strategic ambiguity. South Korea depends critically on China as its major trade and economic and investment partner. Uh, the China market remains a major concern. Um, and of course, China as an ally, at least a nominal ally of North Korea, is a key player in any potential negotiated settlement with North Korea to dissuade it from maintaining its nuclear weapons program. So from the perspective of Seoul, maintaining a good working relationship with China remains important. But President Yun, since becoming president, in fact, as a candidate, made it very clear that his preferred direction of travel diplomatically was to strengthen ties with the United States and also with Japan. And that's led to some of this increased tension in the security space. However, when you look at the economic relationship, uh, and we've seen a recent meeting of the finance ministers of both China, Japan, and South Korea on the margins of the meeting of the Asian Development Bank that took place in Incheon uh, just recently, a renewed commitment on the part of South Korea and China to work closely in the economic space. So it's not a zero-sum choice. And uh, I think what we will see is continuing development of economic ties between Seoul and Beijing but genuine concerns from the point of view of Beijing about the security relationship. Well, when President Yoon went to the United States, he was accompanied by the heads of at least uh, three or four of the big Korean conglomerates, Samsung, SK, Hyundai, LG. Do you think those business leaders think that Mr Yoon is doing a good job representing their interests on the international stage? I think there's an acceptance that um, this is an administration that takes seriously the interests of South Korean companies. Um, you know, we've seen efforts by President Yun ahead of this uh, visit to Washington to, to try and work with European countries to raise concerns about the impact of the more, if you like, nationalistic approach to economic policy making by the Biden administration. Um, the question is, is this sufficient uh, in material terms to uh, offset the concerns about potentially losing uh, opportunities in the China market and you know, the question of how South Korean companies will fare in the United States. There is a real appetite, I think, on the part of the Blue House to, to find ways to enhance economic opportunities. We've seen that in South Korea's uh, announcement of its new Indo-Pacific strategy that was released in December of last year, trying to develop new business opportunities. And diversification, of course, is something that um, is a necessary response to the sense of supply chain vulnerability. Um, what's also, I think, worth noting is just the sheer number of different actors on both the American side and in South Korea who were engaged in making this visit uh, between the two countries successful. If you look at the list of announcements coming out as part of the Washington Declaration, 
it's in science and technology, space development, new technologies, where I think there are opportunities bilaterally for the two countries to grow and prosper. Um, the, the ambition, if you like, of the bilateral declaration is precisely intended to provide that sort of reassurance of the business community. Um, equally, in terms of knowledge transfer, efforts to improve people-to-people -people contacts, support for STEM-related research activities to, to strengthen cooperation between the two countries. All of these, I think, uh, are a reflection of the importance of consolidating the bilateral relationship. And I think there will be some reassurance to South Korean companies on the scale of the ambition uh, reflected in that new, new declaration. Many world leaders have been to Beijing recently. Do you think Yun Suk-yeol will visit China this year? Hard to say. Um, there may be opportunities. Um, and of course, President Yun has, I think, responded quite well to the, the opportunities to demonstrate that South Korea's global foreign policy reach is something that, um, that he's willing to consolidate. I mean, we've seen that, of course, uh, in the very forceful declarations in response to the conflict in Ukraine. Um, we've seen it, of course, in a willingness, unlike some actors, when I come back to that Indo-Pacific strategy, not to identify China as a regional threat, not to define it in ways that are perhaps more combative. So keeping the door open uh, to renewed cooperation with China will remain, I think, at the heart of South Korea's diplomacy. It's in its interest to do just that. Um, and I think, um, as we saw, for example, with the Pelosi visit to Seoul, uh, there is a understandable caution on the part of South Korea's diplomats and politicians when it comes to managing the relationship with China. But it will depend, I think, on a, a range of other factors, not least, of course, how President Yoon's efforts to consolidate its broader alliance relationships, including with Japan, um, a security ally of the United States, which, of course, remains very important to Seoul. Well, thank you, John, for providing real insight into this crucial issue for East Asia. That was Professor John Nilsson Wright on the line from Cambridge University. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our courses and research on our website, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.